He isn't like us. He does things that we can't. And we're the good guys. So he must be bad. We've heard it a million times. Power used to protect those in authority. To keep things the way they want. It's no surprise that when Jesus challenges the status quo, he's met with opposition from places expected and even close to home. Hi, I'm Stuart and it's my pleasure to welcome you to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse from wherever you find yourself today. Today I'm joined by Anne Thompson who will read our scriptures for us and lead us in prayer. Today's reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Throughout every sphere We 
In George Orwell's novel 1984, he paints a dystopian vision of the future where Big Brother is always watching and the world is constantly at war. Winston starts to notice that something is wrong with the version of the world he's forced to comply with. In many ways, Orwell's depiction is right on the money, and nowhere more so than the way the control of information is at the heart of everything. In the novel, propaganda comes from the Ministry of Truth, while the Ministry of Peace deals with war. We see this same doublespeak played out in our TV screens every day as politicians tell half-truths and have fallen in behind whatever version of events they want us to believe. A policy or a decision that everyone knows is a bad decision or simply untrue is spun as beneficial. Just keep saying it, and eventually people believe it or give up pointing it out. So for example, food banks are a way for people to generously support their neighbours, not a horrific failure of the state to provide people with the means to feed themselves. The original policy was called the Big Society. That's a good thing, right? We all look out for each other. But it's also a way to hide cuts. In England, the Track and Trace service is always referred to as NHS Track and Trace. It's not run by the NHS, it's run by a private company. It's tempting to wonder how Orwell worked out that the world would be this way. But in truth, it's been this way for a long, long time. The Romans were masters of doublespeak. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was a brilliant piece of doublespeak. It was the idea that the empire would guarantee the peace, and they did. The downside was that they killed anyone who disagreed. That kind of power needs a big lie at the centre of it to enforce compliance. Deciding that your emperor is a god is perfect. It's pretty easy to enforce whatever the emperor says because, well, who wants to argue with a god? But why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's because we're back in Mark's gospel. And it's steeped in that world. A world where the Romans are the occupying force. But the Romans aren't the only problem. Jesus is causing a stir. Teachers of the law have come down from Jerusalem to find out what all the fuss is about. And we're only in chapter 3, but his teaching and healing has attracted attention. So much so that crowds are starting to gather. He's also just picked 12 disciples. And Jerusalem isn't just down the road from Capernaum and Galilee. And remember, there were no social networks, no phones, not even a postal system. News travelled with people. And these were rumours and stories about strange goings on that had made it all the way to the capital and seemed to have, well, enough substance to them that the experts had been dispatched to see what's happening. Jesus' own family also turn up. His mother and brothers are there and they tell everyone that Jesus has taken leave of his senses, that he's deluded. The experts say that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub and that's why he can drive out demons. But it's all fake news. And for Mark, that's crucial. This encounter with his own family and some religious experts is the first contact in what will be a war between Jesus and the establishment. A war that ends up with Jesus being nailed to a cross. But why? What's the problem with Jesus? Surely it would be a good thing to have someone who can heal people and drive out demons. Well, the clue is in who turns up to challenge Jesus. Let's look at the experts first. This might sound a little far-fetched these days, but there was a time when people believed experts. They thought that people who had devoted their life to study and learning, 
spent their time with other experts trying to push the boundaries of knowledge might actually know more than they did. I know, it's weird, right? Anyway, the people deferred to these experts, especially the religious experts, because it was a religious country and they were the ones who knew about God and, and all about God's law. They were the ones who God had chosen to be teachers and priests, so why would anyone want to challenge them? The religious experts had become, well, let's say, less than honest. The position bought not just responsibility, but also status and wealth, and they didn't like it when people tried to challenge that authority. Again, that's nothing new. In our modern world, we call people names. One of the current favourites with right-wing governments is radical left-wing. It's kind of clever, especially when you look at who's been called radical and why. And just to be clear, the left-wing governments do exactly the same. They do that to their opponents on the right. I'm just using the current situation as the nearest example. Right-wing governments around the world do this to their centre-left opposition. They call their opposition extremists or radicals. And what that does is it positions the right wing as the centre, the mainstream, the orthodox. And people like the centre. We like being in the middle. We like the status quo. So those others who disagree with us must be extremists because, well, we're the middle. And nobody wants to vote for extremists. That's exactly what these experts do to Jesus. They try to discredit him, not in political terms, but spiritual terms. He's possessed by evil. That's how you can do these things. We're the good guys. We're the ones God has chosen, and we can't do this stuff. And if we can't do it, and we're on God's side, then he must be evil. It makes perfect sense. You can see the logic, and you can see why people would believe them. I mean, why would they lie? In medieval times, people would accuse women of witchcraft and drown them. And if they drowned, well, they probably weren't a witch. Oh well, sorry. But if they survived, then they must be a witch, so they got burned at the stake. That's not great odds for the women accused. And it's the same logic the religious experts are using here, and it's complete rubbish. Jesus takes apart their accusation with a pretty simple defence. How can evil drive out evil? Oh, yeah. Good point. They had really underestimated Jesus. The kind of rumour and accusation that usually worked wasn't going to wash. They were going to need a better plan. When Jesus talks about a divided house and tying up the strong man to plunder his house, he's talking about the world, the forces, the powers, the way things are, the things that we so often say, well, that's just how it is. Nothing will ever change. The religious experts are the representatives of that power, but they're not the only ones. Jesus' own family is outside. Jesus is inside the house with his 12 shiny new disciples and people who want to hear his teaching and his family are outside. How symbolic, outside. The people who should be his closest relations, his nearest and dearest, are outside. Why? Because he's embarrassing them. If the religious experts are right, then he's evil and then they're all going to be tarred with that same brush because that's what happens to families even now. They're a bad lot. Them. In Jesus' time, it was much more than that, though. Families, the kinship system, was at the heart of how society worked. People lived with their extended family. 
You worked in the family business. You were responsible for your family in a way that you weren't responsible for anyone else. Jesus has broken out of that. Even the priests were part of a tribe, the tribe of Levi. And if you weren't part of that tribe, then you couldn't be a priest. So what on earth was Jesus doing? He should be at home in Nazareth, working wood, looking after his mother, providing for his family. But that system is limiting. And it's an example of the the boundaries that people put on their responsibilities. It's easy to draw a line around what is and is not your problem. Uh, And it meant that people who were left out had nobody to care for them. We have a phrase for that same way of thinking. Charity begins at home. My family are my responsibility, not you. Jesus smashes that apart. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do what God wants. The limitations of the system, whether religious or social, were holding back what God wanted. It was time for that to change. The strong man that Jesus came to challenge hasn't gone away. Our divisions and limiting of responsibilities to those like us and those we like still persist. The protection of power and control are still there. And once you see it from Jesus' point of view, it's hard to unsee. But changing the world isn't easy. Systems are hardwired, so much so that we hardly even notice them. When we bump up against, it's always been like that. Or that's too hard to change. Or people might not like that. Or that person is too radical, then we should be very, very careful. That might all be true. Or we might be bumping up against the fences of the system, the thing that we become precious about, or the the things that keep things the same, the same as they've always been, rather than focusing on what God wants. It's time to choose a different way, because we are all family. We're all God's children. To choose a way where the primary concern is what God wants for all of us, not what's best for some of us. To choose a way that's not rooted in greed and hate and violence, but in hope and love and peace.
Let us pray. Lord of all, you are the master and commander of all life. We thank you for the wonder of the universe, for the beauty and fragility of it all. You reign over all of it and ask us to be stewards looking after all creation. We are grateful for the people who lead us in science and technology, who discover amazing facts about the universe and ways to help us learn to look after it more wisely. We give thanks for the people who lead us in medical research, who pioneer new treatments and procedures that give people a better quality of life. We thank you for the people who write stories and create characters and places that help us explore our nature and place in the universe and beyond, into the unknown. We are grateful for people who seek to become peacemakers, who create safe places for people to enter into dialogue, sacrificing much to help all humanity. We give thanks for people who choose to serve their country and try to make the world a better place for everyone. We thank you for the people who take on leadership roles and seek to serve in whatever way you have called them. Lord, our world needs more people to seek you out and follow where you lead. Lord, our world suffers where people choose a different way, a way that does not benefit all life. Lord, give us courage to lead the way and strength to stand up to fear and doubt. For all these things we pray in the words you taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Lord of all, you who turned power in its head, who showed us that true power was found in vulnerability, guide us and guard us. May we find our security in you. May we trust and not be afraid. And even when we are, may we know that your presence is with us always. Bless us on our way this day and every day.